Here we are in the book of Romans today. Let's go over to verse number 17. Verse number 17. I'm just going to read the first two verses, 16 and 17 here, and uh, we'll have a word of prayer before we dive into this text. I think it would be a good one uh, for us to start with prayer. It says in verse 16, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. It is a perfect love. And we thank you, Lord, for it. We are learning about it in our lives day by day. The experiences uh, of a week, of a single day, we sometimes rejoice in things, sometimes we struggle in things. We, we somehow look at a day as something to be managed or endured or enjoyed. But every day is designed by you. And we are your children. And in that, Lord, we have much to learn. We have much to learn. This book of Romans, and this chapter number 8, that we've been in for some time now, has just said over and over and over again that you have secured us in a relationship with you. And Lord, you know how we are. How our doubts come, how our our inadequacies seem to loom so greatly in front of us, how we struggle with things, how we seek to understand, and yet you are so faithful to us. As our Father, we as your children. We approach another passage today that will just highlight that even more. And I trust that we can grasp what we read on this page and certainly understand better the kind of love you have for us. Guide us carefully through our passage today and reassure us once more as your children how much you love us. Just prepare our hearts for your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I I stress the fact that we are secure in our relationship with the Lord. We are secure in that. Not based on what we have done, or what we do to maintain that. But based on what he has done, and what he does, that maintains that. And I like the fact that when I read scripture, and you do too, so many verses launches us into the future, and and we talk about our inheritance, we talk about heaven, we talk about our future, and all these things God has already designed. And if he has so designed all that, and it's all perfectly designed and prepared and planned and finished as far as he's concerned, why do we worry about today? That was part of our Sunday school lesson today. Why do we worry when we step back and see what God has done? He has secured this relationship. And that's my emphasis, and I'm going to keep on it until we're through with Romans chapter 8, and that's going to be the end of the year. Maybe. We'll see. But we're looking at a relationship that God has absolutely, positively, perfectly secured in all that he has done for us. 
Now, we've hit verse number 17, and the last part of verse 17, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. And there are some who just, well, they brace themselves. Have we hit the fine print? Sometimes you read the scripture and say, wait a minute. That doesn't seem to mesh with the rest of the chapter. You know, there's, there's that moment when you're closing on a house, and many of you have been there before, when they're passing all those papers in front of you and you're signing for a mortgage and things of that nature. And, and then it comes that one page that's the declaration page of how much you actually pay when the mortgage is through. And they just simply say, oh, this is just, just sign this, and, and they move the page around, right? They pass it on, because, you know, three times the cost of what you're paying for it kind of you know, alarms people. So let's m- move quickly to the next document, right? Verse 17, let's move quickly to verse 18. But guess what is in the middle of verse number 18? The same word. So we can't move that quickly, can we? Uh, some people, and you folks, especially in the medical world, uh, when you prescribe the medications, on the side or on the paper that goes with it are all those side effects that are potentials. And you say, oh my, is that better than the cure? Is that, do we want to go down that road? All these different side effects scare me sometimes to think, well, I'll probably get all of them. But uh, side effects, we, we say, I don't know if I want that list either. Now, here's my question for you. When you read verse 17, do you think it was said like this? Paul is saying this out loud as children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, if he also Do you think he whispered the words? Or put them in real tiny print, a no, little footnote at the bottom of the page? I, I've thought sometimes that people might think that this is bad advertisement for the Christian faith to talk about suffering. But now I, I honestly believe it would be malpractice on my part as a pastor if I ignore a passage like this. If I move just past it, uh, I would be deceiving you as children of God. And I wouldn't do that. You see, the church groups that operate today, there are many out there uh, that operate today in this kind of fashion. They won't preach sin, or they won't preach condemnation because, well, that's a negative thing. There are church groups today that teach that suffering is a sign of sin. That suffering is some sort of punishment. Uh, because if you're not wealthy, if you're not healthy, if you're not happy, then you have a spiritual problem. And you must not be walking with the Lord. There are places today that are designed just to entertain you. They're out there. They use bright lights, energetic music, the aroma of food or coffee especially. They use the crowds. They use the fun. They use the laughter. Things of that nature. And then I read this quote from the 1800s. Charles Spurgeon said, If you have to give a carnival to get people to come to church, then you will have to keep giving carnivals to keep them coming back. I said, hmm. You know, the Lord has not sheltered his children from this world. He has not. 
He has not deceived us into thinking that we are trouble-free in this world. Turn with me just for a moment to John chapter 17. Now, if my, my best guess is accurate, this is what Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. We have the record of several passages that all we have are the words, Father, if it be thy will, uh, let this cup pass for me, if not, I'll take it. You know, that, that passage, thy will be done. Uh, we see that snippet of a word here, snippet of a word here, snippet of a word here. His prayers were much longer than that, I'm sure. I think John 17 was his prayer. And what fascinates me in this prayer is the elements we're talking about in Romans chapter 8, we're talking about being God's children. We're talking about the glory we're going to see in verse 17. We talk about the inheritance and what we share with Christ and the issue of suffering. They're all in that prayer that Jesus prayed. What he prayed, not only for his disciples, but also in this passage. He says, and not just on these, but all of those that you have given to me. So he's praying for you and I here too. In John chapter 17. Look at his words. Let's start in verse number 6. Look at these words. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them. And they received them, and truly understood that I have come forth from you, and they believe that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but on those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. Underscore that in your thinking right now. Notice what he prayed for. Keep them in this world, but that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What a powerful prayer. Jesus praying on behalf of his own. Don't take them out of the world, Lord. Father, don't take them out. Keep them. Keep them while they're in this world. Show them what we have designed and the glory that is to come. Keep them, Father, while they're in this world. He prayed that way. Now that's God's word. Especially at the end. He made a point of that, right? He emphasized it. Your word is 
truth. I think this passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, is refreshing. I don't find it as a thing that troubles me, worries me, concerns me in a great extent that, that I just can't even walk through a passage like this with you. I find it refreshing. You're going to say, how? Because the average person, you and me, I think we're average, do not like suffering. Given the option of suffering or running a marathon, which would you choose? Well, you say it sounds like both. Um, we, we say, let's get away from suffering. Let's go away from suffering. But do you realize that in a secure relationship with God, this is also part of His plan for His children? Let me walk through it with you carefully. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. We are in a secure relationship because we are adopted as sons. Verse 15 says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. That means, as he says, we didn't get a spirit of fear or a spirit of slavery leading to fear. He also said in verse 16, we are in a secure relationship because of the Holy Spirit's testimony. He constantly declares that we are the children of God. And John would add, and such we are. And Paul goes also into verse number 17, and he says, well, this is just natural. From those things, is that if we are children of God, then we are heirs. And if we're heirs, we're joint heirs. That's speaking of a relationship you have that's been secured for you. It's been secured in God's plan. You are God's child. This whole passage speaks of sharing. Nothing have we gained that has not been given to us by God. Everything comes from Him. Trying to put your mind around an inheritance might sound a little tricky. Especially when we, we read in Scripture what it's all about. It's quite beyond us. And it's true. And it's also a reality. It's reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved in heaven for you. That means, you know what? You've got to be there. If it's reserved for you, that means He knows you're coming, right? I like that. I just like those words. However, I want to point beyond the inheritance today and speak of the relationship. The relationship. For being an heir, being a child of God, being a joint heir with Christ, speaks of a relationship we have with Him. This whole chapter does. And Paul is simply illustrating a point. Are you ready for it? Here it comes. If we share everything with Christ, we share everything with Christ. Is that too complicated? If we share everything with Christ, we share everything with Christ. This is a joint heir that we're going to identify here today. Suffering together in order that also we be glorified Together. Now, how much of us deserve to be glorified with Christ? Not even close. How much of us deserve to be a child of God? None, you're right. 
when we start talking through this, let's be honest with this whole picture here. Nothing on this page is because we've earned it. So, suffering is not because we earned it either. Right? It is His that He shares with us. Just like it's His glory, it's His inheritance, it's His home, it's His future, it's His eternity. All these things are His. You're sharing in it. If you share everything, guess what else you share? The sufferings of Christ. Now, let's talk about what that's all about today. Because I think that's very important. Uh, There are some who I believe make the wrong deduction from this phrase in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Where it says, If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. They look at that and they say, Hmm, Pastor, that sounds very curious. Matter of fact, what, what we simply want to do is say, I I don't want to suffer. Does that mean I don't get glorified? Well, I will tell you, and I'm not being prideful here. I'm not standing up on a soapbox and pounding on anything. But there are some Bible translations that help you think that way. Uh, The Amplified Version I enjoy very, very much. But this is the words they use for verse 17. Only we must share his sufferings if we are to share his glory. And I get an impression from that. I get an impression that sharing his glory is determined by sharing his suffering. And I think it suggests to me, anyway, that we must suffer if we're going to earn glory. Now, some of you also carry, I know, the English Standard Version, the ESV. And they use just one word in there that kind of sets me off a little bit. It says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also glory with him. It sets up to me a merit badge system, if you will, that we are totally uh, accomplishing this so we could get that. We're doing this so we could get that. We're doing this so we could get that. And yet that doesn't fit Romans chapter 8 at all. Or the book of Romans, for that matter. How much have you done to earn the next thing in God's plan? You've already told me nothing. It's like you did not earn His grace. You did not earn His salvation. You do not earn His inheritance. You did not earn His glory. So, why do we all of a sudden turn it into a merit-based system? You see, I think that's kind of contradictory to the whole text. When Paul's writing about suffering, do you think this guy knew what he was talking about? One of my favorite stories, and I know it wasn't his, but one of my favorite stories is in the book of Acts, where Paul goes into a town called Lystra in Acts chapter 14. And he was there, and they they kind of got the wrong idea of who Paul was, and they decided he must be a god. So they started to bring offerings to worship him. And he's saying, no, 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 stop, don't do it. And so just at that time, the Jews showed up, who were his enemies. uh, And they came in and they figured, well, perfect timing for this. He doesn't want to be their God. Let's turn him into their enemy. And they started to rouse up the crowd a little bit. And they won over the crowd. And they took Paul outside the city and stoned him. Now, that's an extreme route from being worshipped as a god to being stoned in the street. 
But here's Paul in the middle of that, of that. They drug him out of the city, and they thought he was dead. And the disciples came out there, and they're standing around, and they're looking down at him, thinking, oh my, it's over. Paul stood up and went back into the city. Now, most people would say, I'm going the other way. This is Paul. He knew persecution pretty close hand. Matter of fact, he goes on to tell us in many places, he was a persecutor before he became the persecuted. He was the one standing over Stephen when Stephen was stoned to death. But with the point of all this is, when Paul speaks on suffering and what it's all about, I think he's got a pretty good platform to say what he wants to say. And I want to show you what he has said specifically about it in First Thessalonians, oh no, Second Thessalonians chapter one. Let's go over to Second Thessalonians chapter one for a few moments here, because this is one of the earliest books Paul wrote, and he's writing to a what we would call a very young church. They probably haven't existed as believers for even a year yet. He administered in among them that we know of for three weeks. And he was driven out of the town because of persecution. That's all that baby church knew until he writes them this letter within the first year. Suffering, suffering, suffering. The, the enemies did not let up on them just because Paul left town. It was so intense that Paul had to write these letters to find out, how are you doing out there in, this, in the midst of this suffering? He wanted to know desperately how they were faring in the midst of it. So Paul knew that, and he's writing to this church. Now, they were a young church, but they were not an immature church. There's a difference. Because here he says in 2 Thessalonians, chapter number 1, verse number 5, uh, no, verse 4, Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. He's commending them on where they have stood firm in the midst of multitudes. Multitudes, uh, uh, many, manifold, if you will, uh, persecutions and afflictions. Now, he starts something that I think is vital for that church and vital for our church and everyone who will hear it. I call it the, the theology of suffering. He defines what it means to suffer. In the next verses, from 5 all the way through verse 10, these are the four main points he gives us, and I'm going to show them to you. But these are the four things every believer must know when it comes to suffering. Number one, God considers them worthy to wear his name in persecution. That's a big sentence, isn't it? That's number one he's going to bring up. God considers them worthy to wear his name in persecution. Number two, it's implied, but I'll point it out, persecution is temporary. It doesn't feel like it. It's temporary. Item number three, God gives rest. God gives rest. And number four, the Lord will be glorified and admired in His saints. The Lord will be glorified and admired in His saints. Now, what are these points? Let's walk through them carefully here when we step into this scene in verse number 5. 
This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgments so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. Now people stand back and say, wait a minute, you just saw the word judgment there and you saw the word suffering in the same passage. You know what that means. No, I don't. Because judgment is not condemnation. Judgment is God's perspective on it. Judgment is God's opinion on it. This is what God declares about it. Condemnation is punishment. Judgment is His right view of it. This is God's right view of these things. Now, here's what's very important here. God always has the right view. And everything God does is always right. Don't let that get past you. Everything God does is right. He addresses two groups of people in 5 through 10. And we're not going to talk about the second group, but that's the unbeliever. But the first group he talks about is the believer. And many times there are people approaching suffering or in the midst of suffering thinking something's wrong when they forgot that it's right. Because God's done this. This is God's righteous judgment. This is God's righteous view. This is what He sees. God's righteous judgment. And what does He righteously say? This is powerful. You are worthy to wear my name in the midst of suffering. You are worthy to wear my name in the midst of suffering. Do you not see that as an honor? Do you like wearing the name of Christ? Isn't it great? Call yourself a Christian, a follower of the Lord? He says, great. Now wear that name in the midst of persecution. I trust you with it. Whoa, wait a minute. Yes, he trusts you with his name. He's given to you his name to wear out there. What you do, the world sees, they see his name on you, and that reflects on him. Uh Uh-oh, that sounds personal all of a sudden, didn't it? It reflects on him. He says, you are worthy to wear my name in the midst of persecution. I have a hunch that the Lord gives us uh, these kind of things in relation to our maturity. I'll give you a simple illustration. You've got a wonderful car. Beautiful car. You've invested a lot of money in those cars. You know how that is anymore. Do you trust it to a 12-year-old? No. (laughs) Do you trust it to the new one with the driver's license? Not too easily. Uh, you, (laughs) you, You know how that works. You say, well, I think I trust them with this. I trust them with that. God's holy name that he has given to you to wear, he says, I trust you with it in the midst of persecution. He said that of the Thessalonians. He found them worthy. Notice the words here. Worthy. He considered them worthy of the kingdom of God. Wow. That's his view of it. Counted worthy of the kingdom of God. This is one quote from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. Endurance and trial does not make one worthy of heaven. One does not earn heaven by suffering, 
But endurance in trial does demonstrate one worthiness. His trials simply expose what is there already. And since the character that emerges through the fire of testing is God-given, God receives all the glory. He's using that trial to show the character He has built in that child. You can find that in 1 Peter chapter 1 too. That's how God shows. He's showing the world that you are fit to wear His name. I think that's impressive. That's one thing He's doing. He also goes with this uh, simple phrase in verse number 6, For after all, it's only just for God to repay with afflictions those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted. That gives you the next two points. Persecution is temporary. Because God does have a plan in the end. And number three, God does give rest, doesn't he? Oh, if he's in charge, he knows when to pull off, he knows when to press on. And this verse, in verse number 10, we're going to jump past all what he's going to do to the unbeliever and go to verse 10, when it says, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. Here's a great day coming when we'll stand back and say, wow, look what he has done. That's in the midst of all the suffering, folks. That's in the midst of all the suffering. When we all gather together and we stand before Him and we show all the things accomplished in His name, He will be glorified. You're going to be part of that. This is God's view of it. This is God's view of it. Now, I said that before you to start with, just to give you things to consider. Back here in Romans chapter number 8, let's consider a couple of very important points. Number one, God is in control. God is in control. Have you been convinced of that yet? Are you sure that God's in control all the time? I love this quote. There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Who said that? Corey Ten Boom said that. Where was she? She was in a concentration camp. Have you been there? She found that God was deeper still. Consider this. God gives grace in our time of need. Is that not His promise? Didn't He say that? He gives grace in the time of need. Again, another quote from Spurgeon. I just have tons of these, but this is what I saw. The Lord may not give gold, but He will give grace. He may not give gain, but He will give grace. He will certainly send us trial, but He will give grace in proportion thereto. We may be called to labor and to suffer, but with the call there comes all the grace required. Consider that. God gives grace in our time of need. Consider this too. The challenges that He sends our way drives us to trust Him more. To trust Him more. I love this quote from Abraham Lincoln. 
I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go, my own wisdom and that of all about me seems insufficient for the day. One person said this, and I find it very interesting. When you are going through something hard and wonder why God, where God is, remember, the teacher is always quiet during a test. I add, but he never leaves the room. Consider this. The challenges bring us to trust his word more. If I take God at his word, the responsibility of fulfilling his promise does not lie with me, but with God who made the promise. Another person said, There are some of the graces which will never be discovered if it were not for your trials. James said it this way, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you endure or encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Do you trust those words? Do you? We always think, well... You know, you got a snicker when you say, consider it all joy. We're not sure. How do you call that joy? Now, I've set before you a lot of considerations already here this morning. And if I brought you just to this place today, if that's all I said about it, and you said, well, that was, that was kind of profitable, but is that where we're going to stop on this point? I would say, no. Romans 8 adds another thing. Suffering is the mark of identity. We suffer because we wear the name of Christ. Jesus had said back in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I underscore those words. Because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you not know that that's your identity? As belonging to God? As being a co-heir with Christ? You share with Him. Say, okay, well, this sounds difficult, but let me walk you through two sides of that. Go back to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Verse number 5. For if we have become united with Him. You see that word? United. Underscore, this is important. If we have become united with Him in the likeness of His what? Death? How did he die? On a cross. He was crucified, was he not? Were you united with him in that death? Well, I wasn't 
there, spiritually, you're united with him in that death. You share in that death. Because it goes on to say, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. There is that union. In order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. You see the emphasis over and over? With Him, with Him, with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over Him. So the death that He died, He died just in once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The whole point of Romans chapter 8 is you are united with him in that death. So, did he suffer? Yes. Did he die? Yes. You have been united with him in that. Alright? Why would Paul change his tune two chapters later? He says, if indeed we suffer with him. Have you suffered with him? You say, how? Did you die with him? Yes, you did. Yes, you did. The believer has already been down this road, folks. Through Christ we have suffered. Through Christ we have died. And we stand back and say, wow, really? Are you going to be glorified with him? Well, you know what the last part of Romans here, chapter number 8 says, verse number 30, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Past tense, folks. We're not reading something that's just talking about mere future stuff and possibilities, like, oh, are we going to suffer with him? Well, I sure would like to be glorified with him. Am I going to get that too? We've already suffered with him, and we're already glorified as far as he's concerned. How much of that did you earn? None of it. Already accomplished by Christ. See, you're a joint heir with Christ. You're with Christ. That's very important to understand that. Because if you understand that, that's your foundation for the Christian life. Now, everything you do beyond that is based on that. You say, but I don't want to suffer. You already did. So, keep walking with him. There's nothing new for the believer as far as what Christ has already designed. We're just walking in the steps with him. We're walking in the steps with him. He sometimes leads through the valleys, and they're tough. Sometimes we wonder where he's at. We don't see him. But he's with you. Remember the promise? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because thou art with me. He's with you right now. And you say, but I don't want to suffer. You already have in Christ Jesus. Keep walking. Keep walking. You see, he's not giving us anything new here. He's saying, you already have a union with me. You already have communion with me. It's kind of like this. When you made your promises at the marriage altar, you said for better and for... Now, did you whisper the other part? 
Or was that just the fine print? Was that not the promise? Why? Because you were looking forward to it? No, because you know that's what the union is about. That's what the union is about. Wherever Christ goes, you go. When he calls you home, you're with him. Wherever he is, you are. I love those things. Somebody says, he who counts the stars, calls them all by name, is in no danger of forgetting his own children. Consider this point as you look at verse 17. If we are children, then we are heirs. And if we're heirs, we're heirs of God. And if we're heirs of God, we're fellow heirs of Christ. If indeed, and the word is since again, since we suffer with Him. That's already going on. It's already done. It's already a part of the plan. It's already there. You say, I don't, that's, that's already there. Since indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. You see, He's taken us through every piece together with Him. With Him, with Him, with Him, with Him. How can you be an heir otherwise? There's equality in the picture, you see? There's equality in the picture that we are God's children. We're in His family. The love of God is the same to all of us every day, every minute, no matter what the circumstance is. Whether it's a, what we call a good day or a bad day. Guess what? God loves you still. Thoroughly. Every moment. You're His child. Never changes. Never changes. You're blessed by His promises, and He never changes His promises. He, he has given you an inheritance which is just as equally received by you as it is by me, by this, by Apostle Paul or Martin Luther or anybody else on, that's ever walked this globe who knows Christ as Savior. We all are joint heirs with Christ. So whether we, we serve or whether we're strong or whether we're weak or whether we're healthy, whether we're useful, whether we, we're able to do this or whether we can't do that, you're a child of God. And as a child of God, you share everything with Him. With Him. Don't think for a minute that suffering comes without Him. It's with Him. I'll just bring you to this simple point here because I want you to understand it. This is another thing that identifies us as being His child. Because He's with you in it. He's with you through it. He's with you. That's a secured relationship, folks. That's your identity. He's not withheld any single aspect of that relationship from you. He's shared everything. Everything. You remember the passage where Jesus talks about uh, sharing a yoke with him. He says, come and, and share my yoke with me. My, my burden is light. <laughs> Doesn't feel that way sometimes. But you know what the yoke is all about? You're walking side by side. 
You're walking side by side. He never puts you in it by yourself. He's with you. He's with you. What we experience on this earth, as believers, He is with us. What we will experience in heaven, it says we will be glorified with Him, is because He is with us. It's all about that. It's a shared relationship. And because you share that, that means you wear His name. That means you belong to Him. That means you're His child. I think it's important to understand it that way. He is not looking at you saying, boy, I'm going to really give that one to him. (laughs) That will fix him. He doesn't look at him that way. He says, that's my child and I'm going to walk with them through this because they wear my name. I don't know if you find that refreshing, but I do. I find that very encouraging to my heart. To know that he promised he would never leave us or forsake us. To know that He's with us. Underscore those words. They're important. With Him. With Him. With Him. Without that, I wouldn't want to suffer, would you? With Him. Paul says it this way. I can do all things. Through Christ. Heavenly Father, how shall you put this in our hearts today? How shall it find its application in what we're experiencing or what we shall? How will we wrestle with this simple passage and and see the big word suffering and forget the little word with? You know who we are and you know how we look at life and how we struggle with things and we, we are prone to believe that when things are going well you love us more. But Lord, we need to have our spiritual vision readjusted here today. We need to see things from your perspective, your righteous view of these things. We need to understand your incredible love and your consistent, faithful declaration that we are your child. We are your child. We are your child doesn't matter whether it's through suffering or whether it's through glorification. We are still your child. We are heirs, and that will never change. Your love for us will never change. As we walk on this planet, as we step into glory, that will never change. For you are with us, and always with us. Lord, take our eyes off the waves, and let us see Christ. Let us see Him, the one that we walk with. And therein we find our joy. Therein we find our rest, and our peace, and our security. And I pray, Lord, that you apply it to the lives represented here this morning. However that is needed today, settle it in their hearts that they are not alone. Settle it in their minds that they are the children of God. And grant to us, Lord, the confidence of a secured relationship with you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.